Well, believe it or not, in 2018, for a brief amount of time, I was a marathon runner. I ran the Chicago Marathon. And during that summer, all through my training, I just read as much reading on running as I could get my hands on, to just to get ahead, like to be prepared, to know what was ahead of me in the race. And I, there was one piece of advice for marathons that I just kept getting again and again and again, which is that in the marathon, there are two different races. The first 20 miles and the last six. Or I heard it put another way, actually a couple weeks ago, like this, it's really, it really gets it, which is, it does not matter how you feel the entire race. It only matters when you want to quit. So when race day came and I was in you know, the starting block with lots of other people and stretching, getting ready to go, I look over and, and there is, there's a man wearing a chicken suit preparing to run the Chicago Marathon, which strangely was, gave me energy. Um, so we start, right? You start the race. People are cheering. It's exciting. It's fun. Chicken I, a chicken guy and I, we're high-fiving each other. This is great. I get to like mile nine, and I, I we're passing Addison, and I look down Addison, and a couple blocks away is Wrigley Field, the greatest sports stadium in the universe. So I'm just, I am feeling great as I am running this race until I get to mile 20. And at that point... I began to want to quit. It was hazy and foggy. You couldn't see. It was a dreary day. My legs hurt like crazy. I look over, and now I don't see Wrigley Field anymore. I see the White Sox Stadium, which is just an abomination. Shouldn't even be allowed in the same city as Wrigley Field. My toenail hurts, and I'm pretty sure it's fallen off at this point, which I, you can't even really feel your toes, so that, that's another thing. I, just, I am ready to quit. And you look along the side of the road and there are people who have dropped out of the race. They're getting worked on. They're in pain. They've stopped. And you realize that not everyone who began that race is going to finish it. Now, I finished uh, the Chicago Marathon, but, but as I, I was thinking about this parable, I thought back to that race because this parable Jesus tells is, is a story of people who will not finish with Jesus. And it's meant to ask you and I a question, which is, will you finish with Jesus? And I want to make sure you think about that question, because at least in my own history, when I've read this parable, I often think of other people. I was like, what would make other people uh, not, you know, not finish with Jesus? But Jesus is saying, no, 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 I want you to think about that question. And the question, to put it even more crassly, that Jesus wants us to meditate on is, is this, is what would make me quit on Jesus? That's a question. Uh, so I want to pray for us, and then we're going to think about that question in this parable. Let's pray. God, no one wants to give up on Jesus, and yet Jesus is saying something to us here that will help us keep running. So say it through this weird video camera deal we're doing right now. Say it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get into the way Jesus answers that question, what would make me quit on Jesus? I want to say two things really quick. First is, is we're in a series called Parables, which is we're going to look at a number of teachings of Jesus from Luke 8 to kind of through Luke 16. 
And, and they're all called parables. And a parable is just a, a, a way of teaching Jesus had. And the best definition of a parable I've ever heard is by a scholar named Kenneth Bailey. And he says this. He says, a parable is an extended metaphor. And as such, it's not a delivery system for an idea, but a house in which the reader and listener is invited to take up residence. Right? It's a story in which we enter into to a home and we look around and we sit down and we think about what Jesus wants us to see. It's not just an idea. Like, here's an idea, right? It's, it's, no, it's a home to think and meditate in. Um, and so that's, what, that's important. That's what a parable is. And then secondly, you know, when I say, what would make me quit on Jesus? Some of you immediately might say, well, hold on. I, like in Christianity, like, so I can lose my salvation, I can follow Jesus and I just quit on him. And I, I think as we go through, that question will be clearer. But to say Jesus isn't really asking that question He's more asking the question, you know, there are lots of people following him right now, but pretty soon they won't. And he wants to explain why. And so hopefully all that will be clear as we walk through the story. I just want to name that tension up front. So the question, what would make me quit on Jesus? Jesus gives three answers to that. There's three different types of seed. Right, so Jesus sets up the parable. It's a sower. It's a, it's a guy just throwing seed out. And Jesus says, the seed being thrown out, that's the preaching of the word of God. That's the preaching of the gospel. And when the gospel is preached, the seed goes out and it falls on different ears. And some, it, it looks like it's, it's landed, it's worked, but it, but it, actually, it actually hasn't. And so there's three ways people quit on Jesus. The first being that they never got started. Right, so this is the, the first Seed, where we read, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That, that might raise a lot of questions, but here, here's how I want us to think about that. We, we live in a society, the USA, where 75% of people claim to be Christians. Now, I'm skeptical of that uh, because... If that were true, as I've heard it said somewhere else, if, it, like, if 75% of our culture was Christian, Sunday morning would be the biggest traffic jam you'd ever experience because 75% of us would be out on the road. Have you ever driven on Sunday morning? Not a traffic jam. Right, so the idea that 75% of Americans are Christian seems a little, a little off. Um, and, and here's what I, what, where I want to take that. Is, is in our society... Being an American means you eat apple pie, you watch baseball, and you're a Christian. You just sort of fall in with the lot. And what I think that means, or what I know that means, I should say as a pastor, is a lot of us have, have heard the gospel, but have never actually moved into being a Christian. We're affiliated with Jesus, we're aware of Jesus, we're sort of culturally in with Jesus, but but we've never made the move to what the good soil does, which in verse 15, Jesus says, the good soil, they hear the word and they hold it fast. That a Christian is not someone who's just aware of Jesus. It's someone who's made the move to holding fast to Jesus. For some of us, that was a moment. You, you prayed a prayer. You said, God, my, my sin is too much. I have no hope apart from you. Come Take over my life, my life. Here's my life, it's yours. For others, it might have been more of a process where maybe you grew up in church for a long time and you heard Jesus a lot of times and, and you don't know how it happened or when it happened, but one day you just woke up and like the one thing you had in life was, was Jesus. But it's really easy in our context, in our culture, to just kind of go along with the flow, swim along with the tide 
But never make the transition to actually put your roots in your faith in Jesus, to move from being affiliated with him to holding on fast to him. Have you done that? Have you received Jesus as your own? Not because he's someone else's that you know and like, but because he is your own. Have you done that? That's the first reason Jesus says people quit on him, is, is actually, they, they never actually, they never actually had faith. They never actually listened and heard and received him. So that's, that's answer one. Answer two, Jesus gives, the second type of soil, is, is this. This is the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Now this is where I want to spend most of our time, because I, I believe we are in a time of testing. And that phrase, time of testing, think of it like this. Uh, if you were to have heart problems, one thing they would do is they would uh, they'd take you to the doctor's office, they'd put you on a treadmill, and they would test your heart. They'd make you run, they'd make you walk fast to test your heart to see if it could take the abuse you're giving it by running on a treadmill. Um, and so we are, we are in a moment like that where we are all on the treadmill, our hearts are being tested, and what Jesus says is when that happens, some people will begin listening to other voices and, and begin to, to orient their existence around those other voices because their, their heart was not ready to take the test with Jesus. And we're in that moment. The strain of loneliness we're going through, the strain of the economy, the partisan politics we're all bickering and fighting through. We're in a moment of testing as a church. And what gives me hope is when you look through history, moments of pandemic have been when the church has been its most compelling self. In fact, in the book, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark says that, uh, that one of the reasons the church went from like a weird minority worshiping in catacombs and graveyards because uh, people were afraid of them to becoming a prominent religion within Roman culture is because of how they responded to a plague, to a pandemic that hit Rome um, early in the Christian history. And what Christians did in that moment was they... While everyone else in Rome who could fly out of the cities, go to their second homes, uh, you know, isolate away from the problems, Christians showed incredible courage to care for those who were sick, to, die ne- or to, to, to be with them when they were dying, at risk to their own selves, some of them becoming sick and dying. And that courage and that care led to Rome looking at Christianity as having the most compelling vision of the world. The gospel became the most compelling way of being to Rome. And and it was in time of pandemic when the church really became a powerful community to the rest of the world. And so does that mean like, hey, we all, next Sunday, we're all, we're going to break through security at Shawnee Mission Hospital. We're going to go sit next to COVID patients. No, it's, it's not exactly the same thing today. But those two qualities of courage and care, should be true of us today. And I, I think if we are faithful to the gospel, if we hear Jesus' voice in this moment, this will be another moment when people look at the church as having the most compelling vision of humanity because of the gospel that there is. So I want to ask you a question. Right now, is the church offering a compelling vision for humanity to come and receive the gospel? I'm going to give you an answer to that. My answer is no. Not right now. 
that I've seen some Christians who have shown incredible care for the vulnerable in this moment. Some of them are first-line responders. Some of them are um, people caring for at-risk people. But some take this caring for the vulnerable to a level that just becomes judgmental towards others. I saw a friend of mine who's a Christian post a video that basically said, here are the states that care about their citizens, here are those who don't. And those who are reopening, the assumption being that those who are reopening their economy, they just want people to die and they don't care about their people, which is incredibly unfair. Right? We face enormously difficult decisions right now. We have to reopen our economy if just for people to have jobs, to be able to eat. For the vulnerable to be taken care of, we need a functioning economy. So the idea that if, if you care for the vulnerable, therefore anyone who doesn't think the way you do doesn't care for the vulnerable, that's not, I see Christians saying things like that. It's not helpful. It's not compelling. And on the other side, I, I see some Christians who are showing incredible courage right now and reminding us this, this world is not our home. There's enormous risk in being a human being, and we're not afraid of death. We won't be driven by the fear of, of what might happen to us. So we need to show courage in this moment, which is really compelling. But I've seen many Christians take that beyond that message to a place of, well, if you're not like me, then you're just driven by fear. Or, if you, well, if you're vulnerable, you just need to stay at home so that the rest of us can get back to life as usual. And I wish that was an, I wish that was an exaggeration. It's not. I've heard those things. Those things have been spoken to me. And so we have many Christians who either have courage with no care or care with no courage. And the result is, is it's pretty clear the voice we're listening to, the voices we're listening to in this time of stress have moved away from Jesus to other voices. Partisan political voices. Media personalities social media platforms. And I would, I would just ask you to meditate on this question. Are your friends and your family clearer on what you think of Jesus or what you think about reopening strategy? Are they clear on the mercy and kindness and courage of Jesus the Christ? Or are they clear about your partisan political views right now? Have you made clear to others, more clear to others, what you think we should do moving forward? Or are they, are they clear about the offer of the gospel that's on, um, never on hold to them? It's available right now. This is a moment for us to offer a compelling vision of the gospel to this world, that we are not afraid of death, and that, that, that our courage is not a courage to do what I want to do, but, but this courage is a courage to serve the vulnerable, to care for those in need. And we will, as Christians, hold up both. And in holding up both, we offer a compelling vision to this world. In this time of testing, who are you listening to? Whose voice has your heart? Is it Jesus of Nazareth? <laughs> or is it someone else? And I want to be clear, it doesn't mean that there aren't important questions, whether it's constitutional questions or questions of the economy. Those are all vital questions. Hear me on that. And good Christians are going to disagree on that. That's okay. But I do think we're losing the vision of the gospel right now. And folks, that's the one thing we have as a church, is the gospel. 
We're not necessarily better at economic reopening strategies than anyone else, but we are better at one thing than anyone else, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says you have nothing to fear because Jesus has conquered the grave and you should care for every person because every person is a a person for whom Jesus has died. The second way you might quit on Jesus is in a time of testing, you start listening to other voices. The third and final reason Jesus gives for why we might quit on him is this in verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are the riches and pleasures of life. Their fruit does not mature. They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, right? So, so in the course of life, like Jesus looks compelling until something else looks more compelling. And then I'm, well, I'm going to go live for this now. And I think the moment we're in now is, is sort of this moment to, to meditate and reflect on, okay, like a lot of my pleasures have been taken off the table, whether it's, you know, travel or just like basic community with other people or eating out at a good restaurant, all of which are great things that we should all want to get back to. It's okay. Those are good things we should want to do. And, be, and yet because those things are now off our table, this is a time for us So you know what? Some noise has been crowded out maybe. And I can begin to refocus my heart and my life on the voice of Jesus. It's time for me to hear Jesus afresh. Are you doing that? Are you taking this time to more deeply hear the voice of Jesus? Now here's the deal. Here's the hard thing about this sermon is if if you really take Jesus' teaching seriously, you sort of get to this place where you start asking, okay, so have I quit on Jesus? (laughs) Like, what does this mean? Like, this feels like, oh yeah, I'm probably going to listen to other voices. I'm probably going to fail this teaching at some point. Does that mean that I failed Jesus? And I, there's a place in the New Testament, I wonder if, if Paul, the apostle, meditated on this passage a little bit and offered a little gospel solution for us, for us feeling like, man, am I, am I really listening to the voice of Jesus? Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Oh, sorry, so that you may belong to another, so that you belong to Jesus who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So a lot of theology here. Let me break it down. If you've gotten to that moment of holding fast to Jesus, to believing that his death on the cross for your sin was the way in which you can now be right with God. What Paul says, when you believe that, what happens for you is that you've died to the law with the body of Christ, which means all your failures die with him. They go in the grave with him. All the ways in which we quit on Jesus from day to day, they have gone into the grave with Jesus. And when Jesus came out of the grave into new life, we are now people who can bear fruit because we live by the power of the resurrection, not by our own efforts, right? We finish the marathon, not by gritting our teeth and moving forward. We finish the marathon because he first finished it and he will give us the power through his spirit to finish it with us. That is the good news of the gospel. It's not that we can look at Jesus and say, I will never quit on you. You will. You will. The gospel is not, I will never quit on Jesus. The gospel is Jesus looks at me and says, I will never quit on you. And the way you know that 
is he went on a cross for you. He went in a tomb for you. And he was raised to new life with you. So put your roots in him. Listen to his voice. Make his voice known to this hurting and angry and bitter world that all of that can go into a grave and come back into new life. And it will never be based on what you do, on your promises to him. It will always be based on his promises to you, which is Jesus looks at us, resurrected body in power and says, I will never quit on you. Amen.